We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. It's a busy week for the Big Blue Banter, boys. I will be going away on Thursday. I'm not exactly sure when this will drop, but it will be before then. Or then, who knows? It's a time machine. Right now, we're traveling in that. And as Matthew McConaughey once told me, time is a flat circle. But I'll be away for the weekend, for an extended weekend. Nick, also will be away, and it's a busy week. Today, actually, the Big Blue Banter boys, we, we made a mistake, we got a little drunk, and we forgot to take a picture of it, as I say, picture, the correct way to pronounce the word where you snap a photo, and in the olden days, you had to develop it, we won't get into that, but we headed down to Point Pleasant, had a day at the beach because we were both off from work, decided to spend some time. We wanted to go to Martell's Tiki Bar, but in a sign, as a sign of how old we are both getting, mm-hmm. we didn't realize that there's something called Martell Mondays down there, and the line was like out the door at 11.30, and as you get older, as you get our age, you just no longer have any interest in waiting on a line, especially one that at the end of it, after spending all that time waiting for it, you have to pay a $20 cover just to get in, and at, you know, so that didn't happen, but we did get to spend some time. Down the shore, always a great time if you live in New Jersey. You should always be spending at least part of your summer down the shore. I didn't get a chance to do it last year during COVID, so I'm happy we finally got to, and I finally got to as well. So that was fun, and on the way back, I had a song stuck in my head, Nick. I want to hear about your beach experience, but we decided, should we should we go over what we just did? I was debating putting that in the show, by the way, what we just recorded. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I just, think I deleted it, unfortunately. I, or fortunately, for my sake. So you ever get a stonk stuck in your head, and you just don't know who sings it, and you're trying to figure it out? Well, this is actually, we don't we should be, based on what I'm about to say, but we're not actually sponsored by Google yet. Hint, hint, Google, get on, baby. Give us that ad money. But... Google has this new feature where if you don't know, if you're trying to remember a song and you can't remember it, you can go into Google, click this feature like right there on their search bar, and you could literally hum the song into the browser and it will come up and it works flawlessly for me, Nick. So I'm going to hum it real quick and then I'm going to sing it so you guys can all get a little experience. I'm going to do a brief thing of how bad my voice is, my singing voice is, but let's see if anyone could pick it up just from the hum because Google, if not, then computers are seriously taking over. So it's... Hmm, 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 hmm. 
So it ended up being Time by Hootie Blowfish, and I wanted to know what it was because I thought it was another Pearl Jam song because he has that... Back in the day, like, I feel like that those 90s rock bands have that same exaggerated voice where, like, if you met Eddie Vedder, would he be like, hey, I'm Eddie Vedder, yeah. Is that how he would introduce himself? Like, how do these, is this just their voice on song? There's no way they talk like that, right? No, I highly doubt they do. And I think Vedder's been on Rogan. So he had somebody recently who okay. was, like, an 80s or 90s rock star. So I don't think he was talking like that, but right? I, I never really got into a to Pearl Jam to be honest that's so. the main reason I can never get into Pearl Jam because I hate the voice and I feel like the voice is such BS he's, like, a, he's iconic though too I know yeah. everybody loves Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam like maybe I gotta give him a second chance I'm sure some of the riffs I like I'm sure the music is written beautifully but when you have that exaggerated voice like Tommy Drummer Spoken girl Anyone, how does this sound? <laughs> is this, is this yeah. what you guys want? Three minutes of Eddie Vedder talk? Well, you got it. But now we're going to transition to Giants football. Because <laughs> this is going off the rails fast. And just and for those of you who liked that or didn't like that or whatever, feel free to hit me up on DMs. Let me know if you support my opinion on Eddie Vedder and Hootie and the Bullfish and all those kind of singers who you know tend to have that exaggerated voice. But remember, if you need to hum a song and you want to know what it is, head over to Google. It's pretty legit. I'm telling you, uh, Subway's never going to sponsor us after that the last shit. podcast, oh, but Google should. <laughs> Google should. We're screwed on the Subway front. And you know, honestly, that's a fine place to be. I'm completely fine with that. But today we're talking Giants interior offensive line. As we continue forward, marching ahead to July 27th, we're finally going to get some actual content to break down, some actual plays, some actual footage from camp, hopefully. Until then, we're breaking down the depth chart, and we did the offensive tackle group. Now we're going to do the interior offensive line group. And I want to start you with this. On our last show for the offensive tackle group, we rated them on a scale of 1 to 10 versus the NFL. We gave them each. We both gave them a 4. We haven't agreed on an exact number in a while, so it felt good. We both gave them a 4. I want to hear, Nick, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you grade the Giants' interior offensive line? I'm going to say a 2 right now because it's less than the tackles. And I'm not saying that they're going to be the worst interior offensive line in the league, but there's a lot to prove there. You need all three of these guys to kind of develop and take that next step. We were pleased with what we saw from Nick Gates. We'll go over it a little bit later, but you still need to see a little bit more consistency from Nick Gates. He wasn't one of the top 15 centers in the league. Neither was either of those guards. Neither of those guys were top 25. Uh, well, you can even say top 40 guards in the league last year. So, right. Will Hernandez, COVID kind of cut his season a little bit short. He came back and was used sparingly because of, you know, all the complications he may have faced. And now he has to step up and presumably play right guard. That's a big question mark. So, dude, I, I got to go with two. And, and that doesn't give me a, uh, you know, it doesn't make me happy to do that. But at the same time, I'm saying that you can easily surpass that if the development happens. And we're not going to find that out until we start seeing some football. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment when you consider like the reality of the situation, which is one, one of their projected starters was, remember, a fifth round pick. Fifth round picks are mostly bust in the NFL. He played, I get it. He looked okay to pretty good when he was pulling, I guess. I would say it's more like average. He was not a great uh, power blocker right on down blocks or like right on the point of attack, so that wasn't by any means above average. And he was probably one of, if not the single worst, pass-protecting left guard in the NFL in Shane Lemieux. And you have a guy in Will Hernandez, asked to move positions to right guard. Had a really bad 2020. I think a lot of that was COVID. We'll get into a little bit more of that later. And I'm not going to spoil it before we get to individual breakdowns, before we get to the questions facing position or the bold predictions. But I actually weirdly have more confidence this year in Hernandez than almost anyone on that interior group. 
which is crazy just to think about. I have a weird good feeling about Hernandez going into this year. I don't know why. It's hard to explain. It's just kind of a gut feel, which we'll get into a little bit of. But the point is, that's still a feeling. And as far as Gates goes, we loved him. He exceeded all our expectations. But then you look at something like, you know, I want to call it, you know, again, with a grain of salt, and we'll take it with a grain of salt. But Pro Football Focus, which is, again, the only outlet that's grading these individuals on an individual, or these players on an individual basis on the offensive line, and that's doing it for all 32 teams, graded him out as an average offensive lineman below that mark that you just went over. So with all that in mind, and the depth piece only really being Zach Fulton, who was really bad in 2020, and again, I think he can bounce back too, to a lesser extent than Hernandez, it's not fair to give it any higher than maybe I'm, what I'm going to give it, which is based on my weird gut feel for Hernandez having a good year. I'm going to give it a 2.5. Still not great. I'm going to go with the Dave Portner scale. we got to give the, uh, the uh, what do they call it, the points, the decimals. But One bite, I don't know the rules. Yeah, we're in the same range, though. Exactly. We're in the same range, though. So it's not a group we can feel too confident about, I don't think, going into the season. Yeah, and I, I would 100% agree with you. And again, for all the listeners, that does not mean that they can't take the step forward that is necessary for them to become a playoff team. That's well within the reach for them, but they all kind of need to do that. And like you kind of talked about too, Fulton, he's that depth piece. And then you have Jonathan Harrison as well. You have the undrafted guys that they brought in. So Dan is over here coughing his lungs out. You got to ask him if he has COVID. But Nope, vaccinated, mother. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, I can see why we're a little – we're all hesitant as Giants fans. Yeah, as we should be. <laughs> Let's get to some individual breakdowns before my lung collapses. And we'll start with the left guard, the projected starting left guard, Shane Lemieux. <clears throat> I have a question for you with Shane Lemieux. Pro Football Focus basically painted a picture of him being the single worst pass-protecting guard in the NFL. They also painted a picture of him being a well-below-average run blocker. So overall, they painted a picture of him, the worst or one of the three or four worst guards in the NFL. Because I always wonder with Pro Football Focus, if they got one grader who's assigned to one player, and I don't, even though I worked for them for six years, I still don't know their process there because I was in the fantasy department and I had nothing to really do with the grades. And so I always wonder, like, is there one guy assigned to Shane Lemieux and he just thinks he's bad and then he kind of gets the bias in his head that this guy's bad, then he sees another game and he gives him these... And again, this is the reason we don't love pro football focus, even though it's the only individual grader, because it just seems like it's too wide of a scale. If you're giving a zero grade in one game but a 50.7 in another, there shouldn't be... That leaves too much error for variance and a margin... I'm sorry, error for margin and variance because... The difference between a 50.7 and a 0.0 grade should be massive. Like, And I doubt it was. If we looked at the All-22, I doubt we look at those two games, whatever they may be, and say Lemieux was definitely 50 points or whatever it may be lower. So my question for you, Nick, before we get into anything with Lemieux is, do you think they were fair on him? In terms of pass protection, he was pretty bad. I'm not going to lie. I think he was a better run blocker than, than Pro Football Focus is giving him credit for. And I, and I also think he did a little bit better maybe than what you were saying on those down blocks at the point of attack. I think he is solid in, in those areas as a run blocker, especially considering the fact that he was a fifth-round pick. But you, but you don't want to consider that fact because I don't think that's fair yes. at all to consider. No, and I understand capital, that. It's not, yeah. We're not doing – do we get value? We're doing can this guy be a starter? Yes, yes. And I think he showed signs that he could be a starter, especially from that run blocking. And what did we say basically all throughout the end of the season – into the offseason was Shane Lemieux has to improve his pass protection, especially right off the snap. He can't continue to just get beat by quick power moves and just allow 
just these defensive linemen to just get to the half man quickly and just get around him. Like he has to be able to position himself in a better manner. He has to be able to handle those quick clubs, those quick swipes, and all these like power moves that we saw that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers kind of employ against him. And that was his first game starting, I want to say, on that Monday night game. And it was William Golston dominated him. Now, Damakon Su dominated him at the point of attack with different types of moves. Looked like he was overwhelmed. Like, okay, jitters. You know what I'm saying? We're not going to see that probably progress into all these other games, maybe a little bit here and there. And you kept kind of seeing it at least once or twice, three times a game where it was, you know, second down and seven. Daniel Jones doesn't even hit his back foot. He has someone in his face. He has to try to escape and then he goes down and then the play is just dead. The drive is dead. You can't have you can't allow defenders to have that kind of interior pressure. And that was definitely Shane Lemieux's biggest just uh, negative mark on him in his rookie season. Can that be fixed? Yes, it can be, I would imagine, because, you know, he had his athletic limitations coming out of Oregon. But I do believe with more reps, with more experience, more time in the weight room, he can hopefully kind of fix all of those things, especially from a positioning standpoint. It seemed like a lot of those young guys with Mark Colombo and on that offensive line had problems with framing their blocks. They did. Andrew Thomas did. We talked about it on the last podcast. Shane Lemieux definitely did as well. So hopefully with Rob Sale, as we said with the tackles, that can stabilize and he'll be in better position to handle that quick power and then just get in the way enough so Daniel Jones isn't hitting his back foot and have a guy right in his face. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think it's okay to say that with Rob Sale, with a full offseason, not only a full offseason by NFL standards because we're returning to normalcy, but also by the fact that he'll be working with that first team from snap one in training camp. And he wasn't working with the first team in snap one in training camp last year. He wasn't working at all with the first team. And so that will help him for sure. Playing alongside Andrew Thomas longer will help him. There's a lot of width factors that will improve for him and I do think he can take to coaching I think his game can improve with coaching like you said one way is just framing the blocks but I do think that there is at least a non-zero chance and I would put it higher than non-zero I would put it at closer to 50-50 at best I would say that he just doesn't have the athletic ability to fix his issue in pass protection because it was an issue for him at Oregon against much worse athletes on the interior defensive lines of the Pac-12 it was an issue a major issue for him in the NFL last year and that lower body quickness, that was really, if you look at his scouting report, that was what everybody was worried about. That was the reason why a guy who started that many games at Oregon, who delivered that much as a run blocker, who has decent size for the position and decent length for the position, more than decent, above average, was still viewed and billed as a day three pick because of that lower body explosiveness. Can he get up into that stance quick enough? And that may not just be something that can be coached in my mind. It's it's hard to say that like, can you coach someone to get more quickly into that? Or if he starts to kind of think about that too much, he's going to get off balance and he's going to put himself in a worse position. I just don't know if the natural lower body fluidity and athleticism is there for a player like Lemieux. And I think that's fair to question. I mean, he had 104 true pass sets last year and he gave up 14 pressures on those and he had what 299 total pass sets 25 pressures which ranked tied for 24th in the league but again he only started half the season so it's not great but again rookie fifth round pick all those things kind of get thrown into it you need him to take that step if you want this offensive line to be as effective as we're going to need it to be if we want the Giants to actually go to the playoffs actually make a playoff run we all kind of talk about the NFC East like they're terrible because they were terrible in 2020 but they very well might not be next year with Dallas, yeah. with Washington. Philly, I'm not as optimistic on their chances of being a quality football team. But the other two, I am. So this division, I mean, the Giants really have to earn this, dude. And if the offensive line is trash, Daniel Jones isn't good enough to overcome that, even with these other weapons. 
Yeah, you're completely right. But I do want to give a little bit of context to what you said because it is 25 pressures allowed on 299 snaps. The NFL leader was 46 pressures allowed by Dakota Dozier, but that was on 614 snaps. So if you just prorate that, Shalene Lemieux is is allowing 50 pressures over that. And he would have, on a prorated scale, allowed the most pressures in the NFL at the guard position. So that needs to be put in context. He was arguably the worst, single worst pass protecting left or offensive guard in the NFL last year. And the tape checks that out too, which is unfortunate. Which sucks, yeah, but it's not like oh, just, he just kind of missed a stunt and it was Nick Gates' fault because Nick Gates was supposed to be no. It wasn't it was less that. communication issues. That's the biggest issue with Lemieux. I would have loved it to just be communication issues. Yeah. To me, it just could be athletic limitations. Like how much of a jump can someone have with coaching, with Rob Sale, with the full offseason, all of yada yada stuff that literally every guard in the NFL gets. So we don't want to too much overrate but assuming let's take the leap and say the Giants are going to get some of the best offensive line coaching in the NFL or let's say they get top 10 offensive line coaching from sale and my in your mind Nick with that included a full offseason a better Andrew Thomas because he's more used to playing in the NFL a better Nick Gates because he's more used to playing a center next to him on his left and his right can you jump from the single worst basically offensive guard and pass protection in the NFL? Where's the ceiling? You know, like from one year to the second for a player like that, what should we be expecting as a ceiling? And then maybe as the middle ground. And then we know what the worst case scenario is. We don't need to go over that. There's a chance he just doesn't improve. But where's kind of the middle ground and the ceiling for a player like that in your mind, given that context? I would say he can probably improve to league average. And I would, I would welcome that, to be honest. In yeah. pass protection is what I'm talking as about. As a ceiling just... or as a middle ground? Oh, I would say that's more towards the ceiling. Yes. So I don't think Shane Lemieux is going to step in here and just automatically become, you know, the old Kevin Zeitler or anything no. like that. It's not, I don't believe he has, like you said, the athletic capabilities of doing that. He does have pretty short arms. I want to say he's like in the 12th percentile, 32 Oof. and one-fourth inch arms. His hands aren't really that great. He doesn't have as much pop. I love his tenacity. I short love his, shuttle was brutal. Yeah, I love the tenacity, man. I love the competitive toughness. I love that drive to finish his blocks and do all those things. And I do believe he is a pretty darn good run blocker. And I do think he's good on those backside pulls. I think he's solid as a down blocker as well. But man, this game is about passing the football and you, and you can't allow interior pressure. And in addition to that, one of the biggest issues from the athletic profile standpoint is the three cone drill. He did he ran that he did an eight one three three cone, which was in the seventeenth percentile among offensive linemen. That right there is supposed to determine agility, and that right there is a big factor in pass protection. The twenty yard short shuttle is another one that some you know analysts, I believe Josh Norris of Roto World, I don't know if he's still with them. They're now called NBC Sports Edge, and one of the worst rebranding decisions in the history of sports. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, I digress. But he ran a twenty two percentile short shuttle as well 20 yard shuttle which some people believe is extremely important for offensive linemen those numbers alarm me for for sure especially when they're backed up by the tape and so i think i'm with you i think the ceiling is league average as a pass protector and ultimately i guess you can maybe get away with that for one year but i do think the giants might have made a little bit of a mistake banking on youth here this offseason and not trying to find a way to carve out a few more million to maybe spend at that position and say you know what shane you're young we get it you were okay but in there, or they don't say it to Shane. Maybe they say it to each other in a meeting room. They say, "What's the ceiling with Shane? Are we really? Do we really want to risk this season where we've put all our eggs in this basket with Jones and Galladay and Tony and the defense improving, and put it all on a guy who may never improve?" To be honest, and ceiling is more like league average. I just feel like it's a little. It was a little bit of a stretch. I, I feel like less so. That decision with Matt Parrott is not as much of a stress because. 
Parrot, to me, just has the athleticism. Parrot has the profile. Parrot was a little bit of a higher draft capital, which is a good thing, but more so he just has the profile to maybe with coaching take a boom, light year type step. I just don't know if I see that light year type step out of Lemieux. No, I, and I would agree with that too because Parrot does have the feed. He has the length. He has everything that you kind of want to build into somebody. Now he just needs to kind of put all that together. Good coaching can help unlock that. Right. When you have limitations, like Shane Lemieux has some limitations, it's going to be harder to unlock to, uh, just the above average starter you're hoping to get from him can he actualize himself and become you know a and and find get the most potential out of who he is yes and that's something that we hope happens but that doesn't mean he's going to be a top 10 or guard or anything like that and that's all i need him to be and for those of you who just heard me reference light year step twice and had no clue what i was talking about just know you're not alone I have no idea what a light year step is either. I heard myself say it once. Somehow I made the decision to say it again. Light year step is not a thing, but you know what I meant. Like a big step forward. No, yeah, we, we like, got you. Contextually, yeah. Yeah, just use the context. All right, let's move on to the next player on the interior offensive line, Nick Gates. Before you break him down individually from your perspective, Nick, I will ask you this when it comes to Nick Gates. To me, and I know during the season, I think I was a little bit higher on Nick Gates than you were just from our discussions looking back at our podcast, all the All-22 breakdowns we did. I just felt like watching, and this could also just come from you knowing more about offensive line play than me, but I felt like when I watched the All-22, he was just always doing things I love, man. He was always looking for work. He was always doing, had, had one or two great blocks in the second level every game. It felt like felt like he was nasty at times when I needed him to be. And it just felt like this was a really good center. But my question for you would be this, not why did I feel like that and you didn't. My question for you would be, why does pro football focus kind of view him in a different light? Because he did not grade out very well in pro football focus. He graded out a little, I believe, below average at the center position. What would be your takeaway? And it doesn't you don't have to go into why pro football. What would be your takeaway for maybe why they did that, I guess? And then your overall opinion of what his 2020 season actually was kind of versus, because I feel like at some point the lore kind of took over and the Giants fandom on Twitter and that kind of machine that builds players up and breaks them down. In Ingram's case, they probably broke him down too hard, in my opinion, although we're you know we didn't think he was that good but in Gates case I think they might have built him up maybe a little bit do you feel like that's the case what do you kind of put into I guess yeah like I said why pro football focus had those grades yeah I don't know how uh, pro football focus does the grades exactly but I would say that he was probably around league average to maybe slightly below but that was still so much more than what I expected from him coming in so he definitely surpassed what I believed he was going to do so he opened my eyes from that standpoint but I'd say there were just reps man like if you go back and you watch week six against Washington he was getting tossed around by Mm -hmm. Deron Payne okay Deron Payne owned him at the point of attack i still think he has those struggles against uh against stronger just brute strength type of noses and one shades like the deron pains of the world not to toot your horn too much nick but that was literally what the point you made before last season we had this exact conversation about nick gates before any games were played and we knew he was going to be the starting center this was your concern is he going to be strong enough to hold up at the point of attack Yes, but but he still he showed more strength than I than I thought to be mm-hmm. honest. I thought he definitely played stronger at the point of attack and a more consistent level than I thought was going to happen. But when he would face top level strength, it, right. it, it was pretty bad. I thought his positioning was solid. I thought when he kicked into space, he had some reps yeah. where you're just like, wow, man, this guy can really kick into space. I thought his climbing up to the second level was solid. His mental ability was far better than what I expected it to be. 
from an undrafted tackle out of Nebraska to move to center. I mean, that's that's really, really impressive. So he really did impress me, but I still think there are uh, things he has to work on. Lower the center of gravity, lower the pad level a little bit, you know, maybe explode a bit more from, you know, top to bottom. Sometimes he he doesn't always explode through the hips. He doesn't, and that just kind of renders or just doesn't unlock your maximum strength or power and driving. I think that is a little critique, but again, it's not all the time. So right. it, it's not something that he uh, has a glaring hole with, but I think that he's not going to ever be one of the strongest centers in the league. Love how he finishes though. It's freaking awesome watching him finish yeah. the competitive toughness he shows from that. But I'm not really 100% certain the ceiling on the strength portion of Nick Gates relative to other centers, though. Yeah, and I'm not so sure. Like, I hear that, and I think you're spot on with that, but I'm not so sure strength is too much of a factor in what makes the best centers in the NFL. It can be, for sure. I mean, like, you look at Frank Ragnow of the Lions, he's really strong at the point of attack, and he was just extended to become one of, I believe, the highest-paid centers in the NFL, and for a good reason. But then you look at some of the other guys, like Jason Kelsey from the Eagles, who's done it for a long time at a really high level, and he was never the strongest. He was just super athletic in space. I'm not saying Gates has that exact level of athleticism, but I do see a pretty solid ceiling for a player like Gates, and I know it's kind of similar to Lemieux in the sense that he was undrafted with versus the fifth round the capital's not there are there athletic limitations sure are there point of you know point of attack limitations sure against top level guys. against top level guys yeah, yeah, yeah. but i feel like in the regard that he was really good at which is kind of helping and being really aware high iq as a center in pass protection and then second level blocks in the run and screen game both run and pass game depending on you know what the play call is aka the like screen plays and you know short area runs i think he can get better in that regard as well and really improve that nature of his game as well so for me i see a little bit of a higher ceiling than somebody like lemieux heading into the season i would say he can get into that top 12 center range this year as a ceiling I'm not saying that's what I think he'll do, but I feel like that's a potential ceiling for Gates. I would agree with that, too. Top 12 is something that I would definitely agree with. It's just I want him to lower that center of gravity and use that core strength a little bit more. There were were times where he was just engaged in blocks, and he wouldn't initiate the contacts and everything was in really good position, but he would just allow that pad level to rise, and then literally he would get tossed to the ground. Deron Payne did that like three times in the game. I saw, I think, Michael Brockers did it Mm -hmm. in the Rams game. So it would happen. The Steelers game, that was his first game starting. He had some good reps. He had some bad reps. But honestly, Dan, just overall, I think he can grow. I think Sale will help that. And I believe that the Giants are in a good place right now with Nick Gates as their center. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, let's dive into our contract year projected starting right guard, Will Hernandez. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's dive into Will Hernandez, Nick. Where do you see Hernandez heading into 2021 as right now the projected starter going into camp? Add a new position right guard, first time going into a contract season. How do you feel, again, what's the ceiling here and what's the mid-range and what's the floor? It's weird saying it, dude, but I do believe the ceiling is kind of high for Hernandez. We've seen the floor, and I know a lot of people bring up COVID and all that other stuff, and you have to weigh, weigh that with Will Hernandez. But I think the floor is what we've kind of seen the last two seasons. An inconsistent guard who is below league average, hovers around league average. I think the ceiling, though, Dan, is, what, a, I think a top 20 guard in the league? At minimum. At minimum? Um, he was he was a top 20 guard his rookie season. Yeah, he was. Top, I think he was 18th, according to Pro Football Focus. I think they actually had him 12th, if I remember correctly. Oh, really? Okay, maybe. Yeah, then. his yeah. rookie season. I only remember this. I had to do such a disgusting amount of content for 24-7 sports. I'm like probably pa- pumping out that grade in so many articles. I'm referencing it. I feel like I remember 12th, either 12th or 14th. It was top 15. For I would sign up for 20 right now, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I have a well, get, go through that's, Hernandez. That's I think I have a different opinion on him going into this year, so I don't want to cloud your judgment with my my yeah. own thing. Not that it would, but I don't want to you know change anything. Or no, say no, anything I got that, you. You know, but let's hear what you let's 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 hear more on it. No, I was just I mean, top twenty is something I could definitely sign up for. You're right; it, he'd probably be better than that. He just needs to take a pretty astronomical jump from a consistency standpoint because he was yes. entirely too inconsistent last season because there are reps of him driving people to the deck. There are reps of him looking for work, nailing guys, helping his teammates, climbing to the second level, doing a good job picking up linebackers, pulling into space, being a solid lead blocker, even though he is a little bit boxy. There's a lot of reps of him doing all those things. There's reps of him just being basically like a gigantic gorilla with his anchor, like just absorbing contact yeah. through his hips and just exploding and like pushing the defensive lineman back who has momentum coming into him. And then there are reps where the guy goes into him and then he gets put right on skates he jumps in the air to try to reset his feet and then he's right back into daniel jones so it's just like why isn't this product consistent and that was basically throughout all the games there's positive reps there's negative reps if you look at my computer screen right now dan there's probably 30 clips of will hernandez on my desktop that you are looking at right now a lot of them say neg next to it meaning negative and a lot of them they're like good rep by will hernandez so that's definitely a very very frustrating thing and i feel like he sometimes him and Nick Gates weren't on the same page. Right. I feel like there were times where he would allow, you know, the defender to attack that half man, get to his half man, because he thought Nick Gates was there, and Nick Gates was looking the other direction and waiting for somebody else to possibly stunt over. It never really happened. And then Will Hernandez kind of had to get backpedaled and try to like raise the center of gravity of the defender, and then it would just end up allowing the defender to disengage rather easily from Will Hernandez. So that, that could have been some communication issues along the offensive line. Overall, man, I mean, last season, I don't want to say it's a season to throw out, but 
we expect more from we expected more from Will Hernandez up to this point. We haven't necessarily received that outside of 2018. I think yeah. he can give us that in this season. And you mentioned it a little bit before that you're optimistic, more optimistic about him than Lemieux and Gates. I, I think I'm in the same boat with you. Yeah, it's interesting with Hernandez. Here's my whole take on Hernandez. I am going to go ahead and say the Giants are very optimistic about the decision to move him from the left to right side because I feel like in their playbook, they feel like it will better utilize his skill set. Why? Because they don't really want him pulling in space. And I think he's going to pull a lot less in space on the right side based on what we saw from them last year because Zeitler did not pull as much as Shane Lemieux pulled. And I don't think that's going to change this year if Hernandez takes over for Zeitler. And why? It's hard to predict because it seemed like Hernandez would be a good puller. But when you watch him in the pro level, he's too boxy. That's what it is. It's simple as that. He's just very boxy. But at the same time, Nick, I think that boxiness is what really helps him in pass protection. And I think when I watch Will Hernandez, I feel more confident with him in pass protection than any single player on this Giants offensive line. And that's crazy to say because there were some inconsistent moments last season, which I believe a lot had to do with the COVID issue and a lot had to do with the fact that he was playing next to Andrew Thomas during the first half before he got COVID when Thomas was playing at a disastrous level and then he was playing Nick Gates for the first half season before he got COVID when Nick Gates was still learning the position. But you take out some of those, you add in some of that context and you still have a guy who gets really quickly into that pass blocking stance and can just stonewall you. And it looks like he's been taking that pass blocking stance, you know, thousands upon thousands thousands of good reps there and I know it's not always there I know it's inconsistent but during that rookie 2018 season he flashed a level of offensive line play that not a single person projected to start for the Giants on the offensive line this season flashed Andrew Thomas at no point flashed that level of upside not upside but flashed that level of performance and production Matt Parrott didn't have many reps but didn't flash that Nick Gates did not flash that Shane Lemieux did not flash that so he still has flashed that production ceiling that on the field i know it was all the way back in 2018 but on the field was at a higher level than anything they have right now and i still feel like the floor is a little bit higher too because he's not going to be asked to pull as much he's going to be fully recovered off of covid he worked on getting his body down i believe 20 pounds in the offseason which is only going to help him he didn't look like he was in his best shape last season even before the covid and obviously the covid offseason also impacted him because he couldn't work out normally in gyms you know everything was different last march right last march last april Hernandez maybe didn't train the way he should have or wanted to for the season and get in the shape he wanted to be for that week one game in the season and so i think all of that is fixable but from a raw standpoint the things that aren't fixable things that you can't coach or you can't train to get better at he has better than a lot of players on this Giants roster and I think the move to right guard is going to help him and I really feel confident about Hernandez coming into this season I think that's an excellent take to be honest you want to know one of the most underrated qualities about Will Hernandez is his ability to unlock his hips and recover if he is beaten pass protection or if a stunt does get by him Mm -hmm. he's so fluid with his hips and this is something I saw at the senior bowl back in 2018 I remember watching O-line D-line drills and I remember exactly where I was sitting I was looking down I was like damn Will Hernandez has some good hips and it's you you still saw it on tape this year against the Rams you saw it against Washington in week six there were plenty of times where a stunt would fool Andrew Thomas and Will Hernandez had to make sure that transition with Andrew Thomas was clean and then he's peeking he's doing this man he has his hands to his left and he's peeking to his right and then he just unlocks his hips while his hips are facing left quickly unlocks his hips puts his foot in the ground and he's able to just get enough of the defender to kind of shove him into Nick Gates and that allows Daniel Jones to you know step back and reset his feet to fire the football that happened a lot bro so that is something that I'm really excited about but yeah I'm probably (laughs) it's so 
crazy how this is like cyclical, man, and it comes back. But I, I'm I'm probably highest on Will Hernandez out of these interior guys. Like you said, the interior yeah. guys for it's for me, it's for sure. I think he's the high ceiling guy, and I don't think the floor is as low as it seems because of 2020. So I'm just throwing that season out, man. I don't think he was prepared for it in the best shape, and I think COVID really impacted him. And again, I actually feel like. It's surprising because we didn't expect this to be the case, but I think he's going to be a better player on the right side than the left side if he's not asked to pull as much. He's just not, for some odd reason, he's not a good pulling guard. He's too boxy. It doesn't make any sense. He should have been based on his college profile, based on what he showed at the senior bowl against top talent, but he's not. And so I think that will help him overall as well. I'm really feeling good about him. All right, let's transition to the last player we want to talk about in the interior offensive line. He's not the last player that's going into camp, but he's the last player we think can actually compete for a roster spot on this interior group. And that would be Zach Fulton. What do we want to do with Fulton? Because obviously, if you just look at 2020, he was he was one of the only guards in the NFL as bad as Shane Lemieux, and <laughs> in, in pass protection specifically, one of the only guards. I mean, he allowed 10 sacks. The pressures were right up there. I believe he allowed the second most pressures in the NFL among all guards. But in the years before that, he was an average to above average quality offensive guard. So I know the Giants feel like they bought low here. I know they feel like they're getting an edge on the rest of the NFL because they're going to be like, we can throw it, not throw out 2020, but again, this is that COVID season. They couldn't prepare the same way. And maybe that impacted them. It was a weird season for the Texans as well. Where do you make a Fulton? Is he a good depth piece for the Giants or is he somebody who you think is just kind of going to continue to on this trend trend that he showed in 2020 where he's just a really bad guard to be honest i mean the texans entire organization was just a mess as we've kind of learned so that you can kind of weigh that in but i I don't want to rely on zach fulton similar to i don't want to rely on nate solder we hope shane lemieux and will hernandez are solid in place and they stay healthy but if he is thrusted into the lineup i mean he's gonna have to play better than what what happened in 2020 i mean i remember when the Giants signed him i dove into his film man and he was just out of position always lunging high pad level bad hand placement poor timing in pass protection and and you know that, that offensive line the, the issues along it were, were you know well documented it wasn't a good offensive line but he was one of the worst members of that offensive line if not the worst starting member Oof. you talk to anybody who follows the texans they they absolutely despise this guy and he's <laughs> Going to be 30 years old in September, that's still relatively young. And like you said, bro, he has a pretty darn good career, man, before this, man. You go back to his Kansas City days where he was able to leverage his good play in Kansas City to get a contract, a really significant contract in Houston. I mean, he was a good guard. And then he also played both guard positions, I want to say. And then in 2019, he has really he had really, really good tape. He, I think he had 699 passing sets he had like four straight really good nfl years not really good like elite but above (laughs) average nfl years dude according to pro football focus in 2020 and 2019 he took 669 pass sets nice yeah that's like what are the odds of that though nice nice yeah south park would say nice of course but he surrendered 39 pressures 27 hurries 11 sacks man from the guard position in 2020 in 2020 yes but in 2019 one sack 28 uh, hurries and then 30 pressures so still solid amount of pressures mm-hmm. but again when you're on an offensive line for deshaun watson who loves to extemporize and yeah, run he around he also sits in the pocket forever. he sits in the pocket for a while so there's a lot of that as well but mm-hmm. i watched the tape it's not great but maybe in a better situation and in a situation where he's going to be the backup and he he can 
I don't want to say develop because he is an older player and he's more of a veteran, but learn this system and possibly mm-hmm. be in a better situation. Maybe he can unlock that 2018, 2019 self. But if he can't and he does find his way onto the field, it's not going to be pretty, bro. <laughs> it won't be pretty, but I still think I'm a little more confident in Fulton than I was before we went into this because just diving a little deeper before the show, he really was a pretty strong to above average player for a four straight year span, including as recently as 2019. And I do believe in these this COVID season excuse. I really do. I don't think these guys were able to train the same way they were used to. Remember, these guys aren't in the building during those COVID months. They weren't allowed back in the building, I don't think, until training camp. So they were asked on their own to train on their own with all the COVID rules in place in whatever state they were you know, residing in. I just feel like it was a weird season for a lot of these players. I don't feel as negative, or not negative, that's not the right word, but as worried about Fulton as I was specifically. And again, I don't think there's just like good guard depth to be found anywhere on Frenzy anyway. He's also so a like, center too. So. Yeah, and he can play yeah. center if they need yeah. him to. Hopefully they won't because we like Gates there, but I feel okay about that. All right, let's wrap up with Jonathan Harrison, Kyle Murphy, Brett Hage- Hege, Jake Burton, Chad Slade, anything there. I don't think any of these guys really have any real shot to make the roster. I think the Giants will go with one fewer lineman. Maybe they give one extra roster spot here, but I think they're going to go seven. What do you think? I think Chad Slade or Kyle Murphy will make this roster. I think Hagee will get stashed on the practice squad. I think Harrison has a chance to. It seems like they like him. And then Burton, he'd probably end up on the practice squad too because he's played tackle and guard at the collegiate level for UCLA. They'd have to go with eight or nine linemen to get both of Slade and Harrison on there. Nine if they want. I mean, assuming they don't cut Fulton or Solder. Yes, yeah, that's where it's going to get a... A little hairy, I guess you could say. I'm not because Fulton can play center, and he did extensively yeah. in 2017 for the Chiefs. Harrison could be up in the air, and there's also the Kyle Murphy effect. He can play all over the line, but I just we just don't know about his development. I think they're interesting pieces to talk about. I think a lot of them will end up getting stashed on the on the practice squad, but ideally, unless one of these guys progressed, you know far more than than what we expected we don't want to see any of these guys on the football field. and those are players we'll learn more about in training camp anyway yeah that's going to be the thing we're going to learn a lot more about them in training camp when there's actual live i mean more i also mean if they have any real shot to make the roster to be honest yes there may not be a place for them absolutely and hey find out heggy somebody you know watching a lot of Kadarius tony film you see him yeah I don't see the strength there uh, mm-hmm. too much, but he's just that veteran guy, smart guy, always in the right position, picking up stones, right. mental processing, that kind of hard-nosed, tough grit type of center player. But, uh, you know, he's going to have to outcompete guys like Kyle Murphy, who's been around now. They seem to like Harrison. Chad Slade's been around. He's put on some weight, looks good for the position. He also can play tackle as well, so he might have the upper hand too. Yeah, makes sense. All right, let's get into some questions facing the position. I'll start with this one, Nick. Give me a 1 to 10 scale. Hernandez is signed to a second contract. Will Hernandez is signed to a second contract with the Giants? 1 to 10 scale. Okay. I'm going to say in this situation, the Giants make the playoffs. Dave Gettleman is retained, and Will Hernandez is signed. I'm going to give it a 6. And I think it's going to be a little bit of a cheaper deal backloaded because the Giants are in cap hell in 2022. Yeah, I don't think they're in... I know Kevin Abrams mentioned that, or it's kind of been talked about that he mentioned that. I Looking at their cap situation, I don't think they're in cap hell. They won't be in an actual cap hell until, they re, until yes, or yes. if they re-sign Daniel Jones Saquon. and Saquon Barkley. That will put them in legitimate cap hell. Then they won't have contract. Then they'll have to start cutting players once they re-sign both of those players, if they re-sign both of those players. Big if, too. Big if. It should be a big if. It better be a big if. 
if you're doing things right and if you're not falling in love with the guys who Dave Cullen we already know loves both individually and to massive extent. But they won't really be in capital yet and from that standpoint, but my I'm going to go with a 3.5. This is just my prediction. I don't think they'll re-sign him, but I think they'll have such a good year that they can't re-sign him, if that makes sense. I think Hernandez is going to be the highest-graded Giants offensive lineman, according to Pro Football Focus. He's going to get a lot of fanfare. I think people are going to be talking about how good of a bounce-back season he had, how strong he was, how, how stout he was, how consistent he was. I think he'll play himself out because there are so many offensive line-needy teams in free agency, and he's still so young, and he still has that awesome draft billing, and people still are going to go back to their scouting reports from the year he was drafted in 2018 and say, we had a really high grade on Will Hernandez. I know he only had his one good season as a rookie, and he had this amazing season in 2021. This is assuming what I'm thinking, which is that I'll have a really good bounce back season. And they're going to say, we don't care about those in-between years. We know that for our system, he's young enough. We feel like we can bank on him, and he's going to get a big offer the Giants can't afford. So I would put it low, but it's a good thing. It's a good and bad thing. It's bittersweet because I think it's going to be because of how good of a season he's going to have. Absolutely, and I would sign up for that really good season, and he could realistically play himself out of the Giants. But if he has, you know, I don't want to say mediocre, but if he has an average season, I could see him possibly being retained. But on a one-year deal, I can see it. But anything else, he's too young. There's also the franchise tag too, which is no, no, no. They can't afford to franchise tag him. Yeah, no. No, they're going to not be in a cap situation unless he. And if he's that good, he won't be. If he's not that good, he doesn't deserve the franchise tag. Yeah, it depends if he was average or whatnot. I'm just trying to look forward that to this guard it. position. Like, what are they going to do after this season? Have to keep especially if Shane Lemieux is is not good. Yeah, that's going to be an horrendous situation. They'll have to keep drafting him, and they'll have to sign some guys like the Steelers just did with Trey Turner, somebody like that, you know, or a lower level fill in veteran stopgap. Mm-hmm. And you could get stopgaps at 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 interior defensive line. You can get stopgaps at interior offensive line. It may not be what you want personally. Yeah. I'm not a believer in that. I think you should be looking to upgrade all five positions of the offensive line at all times. And you should not be looking for stopgaps too often. But in their situation with how much they have of strength at all other spots in the roster with the exception of maybe quarterback and at this point it's inside linebacker quarterback, that's about it and the offensive line. I'd be okay with a stopgap guy, a veteran, if someone gets cut next offseason or if someone's a free agent and wants to sign a one- or two-year deal to come to, let's say, the Giants are a playoff team and they can't afford Will Hernandez, something like that. But, you know, they look like a potential playoff contender for 2022. Some veteran may sign a one-year deal for a decent price. You don't know. It's yeah, possible. They, de- they definitely could. I mean, yeah. I think it's going to be, I don't know, maybe a little bit difficult to sign him to that long year de- uh, longer deal with Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, with their contracts pending, especially if both of those guys end up balling out this year. Dave Gettleman selected both of them, and it could be that you know both of them get retained if they can prove to live up to the billing that they were drafted, especially Daniel Jones, a sixth overall freaking pick. Yeah. I would love for him to take that step forward, but... I mean, we're going to have to wait and see if that actually materializes. But yeah. no, man, Will Hernandez... I do want to be on the record as just saying, and I know you don't disagree with this, but I want to be on the record as... And if you disagree with this, I would like you to say it, yeah. actually, by the way. But otherwise, I want to be on the record that Big Blue Banter, at least Dan Schneider, Big Blue Banter, thinks under no scenario, even if he has 1,700 yards or 2,000 total yards, should Saquon... Is it a plus EV move for the roster building of this franchise to re-sign Saquon Barkley and make him the highest paid running back in NFL history? Under yeah. no scenario is that a good roster building move. I don't I don't want that either, especially with all the young talent the Giants have at this moment. That's it would definitely be a not something devastating move for their roster. But that essentially says you get 
what, two more years with Saquon Barkley? Three if you use the franchise tag on him. But if you're going to franchise him and then not pay him, it's going to be like a Washington football team situation with Kirk Cousins. I like that. I think that's yeah, maybe that's the best way to play to, it. That's going to have to be the move because if it's not, Dan, then th- that was a horrendous pick because he basically had two seasons. Oh, yeah. of it was injuries. a bad pick regardless. It's never going to be a good pick. There's no way to talk it into a good pick. Mm. We know that. We're and so- we love Saquon, too. That's like the shit. It's nothing to do with the player, the person. Yeah. It's all the other factors. We don't, we've already gone over that. We don't need to yeah. go back into that. But... I think that would be the best move to Kirk Cousins him, two-year franchise tag back-to-back. I don't think he'll accept that, though. I don't think that's how it's going to go. Nor should he, probably, in, yeah. in his mind, if he ends up playing to his As potential. a running back, he shouldn't because you only have so many exactly. years. But that's all question for later. We don't need to tackle that one now, thankfully. What are some other burning questions that you may have facing the position that you wanted to uncover? <laughs> if an injury happens to this interior offensive line, there's a lot of versatile uh, players who can fill many positions. We talked about Chad Slade. We talked about Zach Fulton, Kyle Murphy. In your mind, who would be the best player to step up if they can live up to their potential? In the, uh, At any position or yeah, so a specific say, position? Let's say one of the guards go down. I really do think it's Fulton. I've talked myself into Fulton. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I've talked myself into him just looking at how consistent he was before 2020. I think it's possible he just took a step back. He wasn't in the best shape. There were things going on with the Texans. And I still feel like out of all the other options, Kyle Murphy, who just may not ever be NFL ready. Yeah, Brett Hager, you said, was you know a, a savvy player but may not ever be NFL ready. And he's more like – he played guard his junior season. Yeah. But it wasn't great. And no. then he went to the center senior season, and it was a little. You don't really bit. have any depth at guard. No. Or uh, I mean, Jonathan me, Harrison, I guess. For me, it would be Murphy. Yeah. If they can live up to their potential, and if you if Kyle Murphy can do that, then you can let Will Hernandez walk. It's a big then, jump, though, man. Oh, it is a big jump. Where Absolutely. He played a year off. So he, for what would happen if that were to happen, yeah. he would have to play where what was Rhode the, Island. Yeah. What level was that? That's two, FCS. Right? Or it's yeah. FCS. Yeah. So you go from FCS to taking a full year off and getting minimal reps, just dumb practice squad reps. It doesn't really actually help you at all. In my mind, you're not really hitting. You're not. It's not really that helpful. Getting good coaching. You have two off seasons of NFL coaching, whatever, strength and conditioning program, and then stepping on an NFL field against guys oh, like Deron Payne. I'm not saying that it's, it's scary, plausible. I mean, I'm yeah. saying that if one of these guys can live up to their potential, I would like it to be someone sure. like a Kyle Murphy because he's young. The and, ceiling is there. And the ceiling is sure. there. Sure. I think and you're spot on. Yes. He's the highest ceiling guy. I think ultimately the best move would be try out Fulton. If he doesn't work, panic, go to the wire. No, none of the guys in this roster. Panic wire. Because there's going to be someone capable out there. Veteran, maybe he's on the couch, whatever it may be. We'll talk about a few guys later. Uh, there's some questions about some of those guys. But in the end, like you can probably pick up a guard somewhere that's going to be better than these guys if Fulton fails. But yeah, it's not a pretty thing. Like The Giants really cannot afford any injuries on this offensive line whatsoever. They do not have depth anywhere. No, they do not. And that's a very scary thing. We've been talking about it the entire offseason because you got all these shiny toys, but you're going to need to be able, you know, in order to use them, you need that offensive line. Yep. All right. Any other questions? I mean, we tackled most of the big questions facing the position. Where was the ceiling? What's, you know, where do we see depth? I say we move on now to some bold predictions for the position. I'll start. My bold prediction will be. According to Pro Football Focus, again, take it with a grain of salt, but it's probably worth something. Grain of salt doesn't mean nothing. I think Will Hernandez will finish the 2021 season as the highest graded offensive lineman according to Pro Football Focus on the Giants. I think that's a solid. Uh, I think that's actually that's bold, I guess. But at the same yeah, time, yeah, because you I would think def- Thomas or Gates. You would think, but I think it's. I think it's not more than likely than not. But I definitely think that's a good take. To be honest, for me, 
I bold prediction, and this would be bold. Ooh. And I don't even know if I really believe this, but I want to put it out there to the universe, Dan. Shane Lemieux is going to improve those pass protection deficiencies and become a slightly below average pass blocking guard instead of a bottom barrel guard. That's I, I don't think that I think it's a good prediction and I don't think it's impossible to happen, but I do want to say this, Nick, when I hear a prediction like that and I think in my head that that's truly a bold prediction just to have him get to a averageish. Yes. That's not good. Like it's why are the Giants putting themselves in a position where we're looking at bold predictions for one of their starters and it's to get average. It's just cra- it's, it's not crazy, it's just interesting to me that they're really putting all these eggs in a fifth round pick basket. It's not just any fifth round pick. It's not like a fifth round pick who had a Darius Slayton like fifth round pick rookie season. Darius Slayton coming off his rookie season, you could say, we have confidence banking on him. We know we have him at a cheap investment like they have Lemieux, but we know that he's proven a decently high level. Shane Lemieux didn't prove that in his rookie season. No. Yeah, he pulled pretty decently in space, but he was god awful in pass protection. And so from that standpoint, it's just not the same as Slayton. It's not Betsy. You're not banking on the two same things. So it's interesting to me, but I think that's a fair enough one. Let's get into some questions from the listeners. We got a bunch. So let's start with, let's just hit them all. Let's hit them all. We can do them rapid fire maybe. Let's start with Brandon Taylor asked, the chances the Giants look at uh, David DeCastro. They seem really content, Dan, with their offensive line. I think if an injury happens and they'd be really interested in David DeCastro, and I could be totally off with this, but you know, I'm not. I don't know what DeCastro is going to get on the open market. He's battling back through an ankle injury. And the Giants might look at it and be like, "Hey, we signed Zach Fulton for a reason, and he's going to be that swing guy as uh, the guard position. We have a bunch of young guys like Kyle Murphy, Brett Hagee, Chad Slade, and they can possibly be the depth if something were to happen." So I'm not a hundred percent certain with the current cap situation if they're going to look in that direction. But I, I would invite it. I speculated on DeCastro when he was released by the Steelers out of nowhere at a time where you do not release people for cap considerations. And I think that I'm going to continue forward with the speculation because I got a DM from somebody who worked, who covered the Steelers, and he said, look, the reason why I stumbled into your tweet and I wanted to give you some insight on this, the DeCastro thing is that the Steelers don't think that he's done and you're going to probably hear an announcement very soon that he's retiring from football. And that made it total sense to me. You don't just cut David DeCastro out of nowhere in June for no cap savings to add a guy like Trey Turner who's been god-awful for two years now. It just doesn't make any sense. So I think he'll be retiring. I don't think he's an option. If he is, that's great. Maybe the Giants do look at him if Lemieux struggles in camp and maybe he says, I'll give it one more go. But I think the injuries have kind of taken their toll there. Yeah, absolutely. Now we have Michael Donahue that said offensive line was one of, if not the biggest need this offseason. Why didn't the Giants address it outside of Fulton? It's a great question, Michael. I don't think we have a great answer for it. I know why they didn't address it in the draft. I think the draft was circumstantial. I don't think you should ever, ever, ever force position and picks of need in the draft. That's the bad teams. The teams that do that are the bad drafting teams. So you want to stay on the good side. And in the first round, they didn't they didn't want to rep- the part of the thing here was that they're really banking on their young talent in Shane Lemieux and Matt Parrott. So they didn't want to draft over Matt Parrott specifically. And they had the chance with Rashawn Slater. But when you get to rounds two or three, I don't think they should have taken a single offensive lineman over Zizo Jolari. And honestly, looking at the next round, I don't think they should have taken a single offensive lineman over Aaron Robinson. And then you get to fourth round range and maybe you can find like a Shane Lemieux type. But you're not going to get too much better than that anyway. So I don't really think they missed anything there. And personally, I'd rather have Ellerson Smith with all the upside that comes with him than one of those offensive linemen that was sitting on the board there at four. This year, we went over it on the draft <laughs> re- podcast, but I think there were 13 offensive linemen selected in the first 55 picks that is not common that was a bit abnormal and it made it much more difficult for the Giants to find them in the draft now why didn't they do anything in free agency 
with the exception of cutting their best offensive lineman arguably from last year it's certainly their most consistent in Kevin Zeitler for cap space reasons I don't know I think they were maybe banking on finding one in round two. It seemed like Dave Gettleman was pissed when Aaron Banks was selected before they took Ojolari, so maybe he had something in mind there. So I don't really know free agency, but I do feel like the draft just didn't fall in the right place. There's one player that does come to mind, and I don't know if he fits the the culture that the Giants are trying to cultivate, and I'm not saying that this guy has any kind of problems in that area, but he did have medical issues, and Mm -hmm. that is Trey Smith. I mean, they drafted Gary Brightwell and Rodarius Williams over him. That's one player that I feel like maybe the Giants could have entertained. Again, this is a six-round pick who has medical issues. It might not have resulted in anything, but now he lands in Kansas City. And can't you just see, like, the rich get richer? This guy ends up, all those medical conditions go away. And I had my problems with Trey Smith, but I had my problems with Trey Smith when they were talking about him in the top 30 and in the top 40. And when you get into the right. well into the hundreds and into the 200s, yes, I, I would entertain someone like Trey Smith. So that's, that's one thing I think I could say. I, I wish yeah. they probably went in that direction. That's fine. All right, damage football, damage fantasy football. Ash, should the Giants have an interest in a veteran like Russell Okong? No, I think they're they're set at tackle right now. They want to start both of those guys, and and then and they have Nate Solder. I mean, I would like it if it was you know vet minimum, but it's probably not what's going to happen. Yeah, I don't think Okong is going to come to a team where he's not guaranteed a starting spot. And the Giants have no no intention of guaranteeing him that. So I just think that he's completely off. He they're off his radar. Yes. So then we have. RS Cantor 1. Who do you predict will make the roster? Seems like second team left to right is all vets. Slade, Wiggins, Harrison, Fulton, and Solder. And then you have Kyle Murphy and Jackson Barton, who were on the roster all last year, plus the two undrafted guys. Yeah, my prediction for now is that the Giants actually roll a few offensive line than people expect. Then they're going to go seven. Then they're going to go the five projected starters, Nate Solder as the swing tackle, and then Zach Fulton as that interior swing lineman. They might go to eight, though. It seems like more traditional to go with eight, though I do think they have a lot of other potential guys they like, and they're really deep on defense, and it might be really hard for them in their minds to cut one of these defenders. So I'm not sold on them going to eight. I think more than likely this would be the year they don't go to eight if there's going to be a year they don't go to eight. And if they go to eight, I'm going to probably go out and say Jonathan Harrison. I think that they feel like he's probably the best veteran there. They feel like he can kind of play guard if they need him to. Probably not, though. And I just feel like he'll be the guy that makes that last roster spot. What about you, Nick? Uh, I think it's going to be eight, and it would probably be Harrison. Okay. With Slade as somebody who possibly... He would be next he has, for me. Because he has that tackle. It depends on how they how strongly they feel about Fulton sure. at center. Now, they seem like they like him as a backup for the guard position, but do they like him for the backup of the center? Because I don't think he's played it since, like, 2017. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, Chris Whalen asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, being plug-and-play above-average starter 1... Uh, for a one being a total liability or a 10 is a p- above average starter what kind of impact do you see fulton having i would say fulton say well hernandez goes down fulton steps in i'll say like a three i'm a little higher i think it'll be a five or six i think he has four really strong solid seasons of tape so it's like but I, what, what, how are we doing this like relative to the rest of the nfl yeah relative to the sml i think he can be like a six I would probably. Go I'm higher. Here. I know because the 2020 tape was bad. I get it. You, if that, if he's 2020 Fulton, then that's that would be like one. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So bleed blue esque says, who is more likely to take a snap this coming regular season, Heggy or Burton? Now for me, and Burton had played tackle, played guard. Heggy played guard, played center. I'm gonna go with Heggy. Say Heggy just balls out, right? And they're like, you know what? You're gonna make the team over Jonathan Harrison. We're gonna put you there. Nick Gates get injured. 
then I think Heggie could be a guy who possibly earns center snaps, and that would be the path for one of these two guys finding snaps, but I think it's going to be unlikely. <laughs> I don't think any of those players are making the roster, to be completely honest with you, yeah. but I would go Heggie as well. Um, next one is from Misled Offer. Is Kyle Murphy seen as another potential UDFA project to eventually start? I mean, eventually start, it, it's hard to say, honestly. I think it would just be disingenuous if I weighed in right now because we haven't seen the guy play. I mean, training camp will uh, come back with a different answer, misled author, to be honest, but it's just difficult to kind of weigh in on that because I haven't seen the guy play in a while. Fair. Just some dude says it's pronounced picture, Nick. Picture with a C. Yeah, I think I actually replied to, did I say, what now? Yeah. <laughs> well, what now? Yeah, you know you're wrong on this one, so we'll just let you marinate and sit in that one. All right. <laughs> Most Sounds Guy says, how much do the new weapons, Galladay, Tony, plus a healthy Saquon, help, can, how much can they help the offensive line? I think they can help the offensive line if they can win at the line of scrimmage quicker, allowing Daniel Jones to yes. release the football faster. But overall, still, if they're getting beat right off the snap, it's it's not great. But definitely, football is a team game. All 11 guys are going to help each other. I think the offensive line helps the receivers more than receivers help yes. the offensive line, but I still think the receivers can help the offensive line. Yes, me and Nick are both big believers in it all starts up front. The offensive line is much more important to the team than the skill players. We'll always believe that. We'll never come off of that. But having said that, I think that to answer your question, Jason Garrett having more weapons at his disposal and maybe becoming a better play caller can do more for the offensive line than anyone they added, Galladay, Tony, or Saquon. If you call better plays, it will help your offensive line. It is That's how it is. I mean, I've seen enough, man. Sean McVay has not had a good offensive line for a really long time, and that Rams offense still moves the ball with somebody like Jared Goff at quarterback, and I can't wait to see what they can do with somebody like Stafford, despite the fact that that offensive line, once again, heads into 2021, not looking that great for Los Angeles. I don't think it'll matter with McVay calling the plays and designing the plays. So I think Garrett can be a big factor in this too. Hopefully he can take a big, big step forward. That's all the time we have for on tonight's show. Thank you again for tuning in, as always, to Big Blue Banter. If you want to help us grow the show and you want to help support the show follow us on instagram ny big blue banter on instagram that's ny big blue banter then please 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 head over to itunes go to rate review the show leave a rating and review give us five stars write in a question or a comment and we will answer it or talk about it or have some fun and then lastly check out our youtube page big blue banter in the search bar nick just dropped a film breakdown of dexter lawrence if you missed it there was also a film breakdown of daniel jones from 2020 that's two current giant film breakdowns get on over there watch them like them what are you waiting for what are you waiting for oh see that was not the reference that i thought you were gonna get i was doing a rick and morty reference remember have you ever seen the fake doors episode of course here i'm selling fake doors we got this we got that we got that come come get them what are are you waiting for what are you waiting for fake doors that's one of the dimensional cable yeah the first one the original so good such a good all right we'll end it on that note boys and girls ladies and gentlemen have a great rest of your week enjoy the fourth of july if we don't speak to you before that but we might talk to you soon and go giants everyone is talking about magnesium It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.